This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today we are examining the dispute Jesus has with those who believed him about who their father is. Yeah. Man, there's a lot packed into that little introduction sentence. Yeah. I mean, it's the first verse. I'm not even going to let you start reading. To the Jews who believed him. Um... Because this whole, like, throughout this whole journey of John, we've been having, like, John keeps breaking up the conversation between those who don't believe and those who do believe, those who follow him and those who don't follow him, those that go this way and those that go that way. And the whole time you're like, okay, I get it. Like, there are those that don't believe in him. And now it's like, man, is Jesus picking a fight with the people that do believe in him? Because it's just, it's a wacky conversation that happens for, for a passage that starts with, to the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus says. Uh, it, it, does that seem weird to you, Brent? Did that catch you off guard? Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess. And maybe not the first statement. Maybe it's where they take it. Maybe I should be disappointed to the Jews who believed in him. I shouldn't say Jews. And did, Is this what you said? The NET chooses Judeans here? Yeah, NET goes Judeans. And I was just thinking about the context of our last episode. Um, he's having a conversation with, oh man, is it the Jewish leaders at this point? I can't remember, but it says, so he's having this conversation with a different set of people. And then verse 30 says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. And then oh, great point. Look at that. 31 is where we start to the Jews who had believed him or NET wow. says Judeans. Great point. And I love that NET makes that distinction. Yeah. This word, the NET, every time it comes up, the NET lays out their, their reasoning for it. Um, Basically, you can read any of them, and it'll, it will. There's like a standard bit of text where they say it could mean this or this or this or this or this, but in every instance, they say we think it means this in this case because of these reasons. So, if you want to know their reasoning, it's like they're in they're in Jerusalem, um, so it is the Judea area, and it's to the conversation is about um, whether Abraham is their father. So that's like a Jewish audience, not necessarily a general audience of anyone. So that's, that's basically their reasoning for it. Yeah. And I, I, I can really appreciate that. A, I appreciate the fact they're really trying to parse the nuance of that word. Cause it's super important. And B, I understand the problem they're having here and why they make different choices. I think generally speaking as a work of translation, I think you could probably more standardize their approach than they have um, in their notes anyway, but they're, what they're doing with their notes is trying to acknowledge the nuance specifically of the group in every situation. I think generally speaking, like I would just prefer the word Judean. 80, 90% of the time, just say Judean and you're going to have the right the right usage. Now, in most of these instances, I think they've been generally saying Jewish leaders. Is that right, Brent? At least in this in this um, debate that's been happening over the last couple chapters. Right. And that makes sense because that is that is going to be, of the Judean crowd, who Jesus is most likely addressing, if not directly in the text, just contextually, that's the assumption, the safe assumption that you could be making. And now the conversation seems to imply that there are Judeans who believe in Jesus, which is a thing, by the way, because Jesus is very much Galilean, and the Judeans and the Galileans despised each other. They're like completely different paradigms, not despised like Samaritans. I just mean like, you know, Republicans and Democrats, like that kind of like uh, I, that that group. I can't stand that group. Um, those redneck Galileans. And so the fact that there are Judeans that believe in Jesus is a thing. And it's it's likely not the Jewish leaders, Jewish leaders, although... I would assume there are probably some Jewish leaders amongst the Judeans that are like, "Yeah, I'm I'm hearing Jesus out here. I I'm I'm for this." So, but I digress. I haven't even let you start reading yet. So, do you want to start reading? <laughs> sure. <laughs> and the any or the NIV is uh, is the example of a standardized approach to this word. So the NIV just the uses, wrong one. <laughs> yeah, they just use Jews in every instance, and you know uh, that causes yeah. problems. So. It sure does. And yeah, and I, you, people know I like the NIV, so that's not a total condemnation. But that is one very problematic standardized approach that I think, especially in the newer NIV, I was disappointed to see that. But nevertheless. Yeah, they did get a lot right. But, you know, everybody has to have their, their thorn in the flesh, I suppose. That's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> 
To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right. So we're told at the end of this last passage, as you pointed out, so glad you did. I was missing that to begin with. I let that darn subtitle get in my way. And so there, there were some that did believe in him. And to that group of Judeans who did believe in Jesus, Jesus says, he doesn't you know, I, I kind of said, like, is he picking a fight? Right now, he's not. All he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. One of my favorite parts of this verse that I feel like we always screw up. We love to quote that second verse, the last part, but that comes on the heels of something earlier. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. So it's not that the knowing of the truth is what sets us free. It's that we, and, and this goes back to a few chapters ago, Brent, when we were talking, John was talking, and he said those that had faith in Jesus could certify, could certify that, that what he says is true. When you believe, you have experienced that what I'm saying is true. And we talked about that word certifying. You certified the results. You have shown them to be accurate. And here again, if you hold to my teaching, I think it's the exact same John, John-esque idea. If you hold to my teaching, you will experience the truth. You will yada know. That's a Hebrew word, but you will yada know the truth, and that truth will then set you free. You'll, you will experience deliverance because you have experienced the truth because you have done. And I think we just love to quote the second part. Like, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we make it an intellectual exercise and I, does the NIV, does the NET have any cool notes here for that little bit? Uh, yeah, specifically on the idea of what the truth is. Uh, let me just read it. It says the statement "the truth will set you free" is often taken as referring to the truth in the philosophical or absolute sense, or in the intellectual sense, or even as the Jews apparently took it in the political sense. In the context of John's gospel, particularly in light of the prologue, this must refer to truth about the personal work of Jesus. It is saving truth. As L. Morris says, quote, It is the truth which saves men from the darkness of sin, not that which saves them from the darkness of error. Ugh. Which I think is just... And isn't that what we usually do? We talk about knowing truth, and we think that episode zero, uh, Greek truth... And sin is error of thinking versus error of behavior in the Eastern mind. We talked about all the way back in episode zero. And I, I just love the NET's footnote there. And even when we read the person and work of Jesus, I think we I think most of us hear that line and we just go, Oh, the cross. Yep. yep. But it's 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 bigger than that. It's not just the cross. And and even when we say that, oh, the cross, I think our mind goes to like affirming an intellectual assent. Like intellectually affirming the reality of the crucifixion, that's not at all. I don't. I don't even think that's what the NET footnotes referring to. The person and work of Jesus would be all of it and its transcendent glory and splendor that we've been hearing John talk about. This huge heavenly conversation, born from above, the conversation is going to continue in this passage and the passages to follow. John, like, that just makes complete and total sense to me. And by the way, I all right, prepare for a little bit of a of a dump here, Brent. Um, <laughs> no, I'm ready. Uh, so I have just been working on this section of John for this podcast. This this whole section is why I was trying to avoid this verse by verse journey. I am just working and working, and I'm I'm going to try to keep because I've been working on this chunk of chapters here, and I'm trying to keep the conversation from all running together. So I'm trying to keep it broken up. So I don't know, maybe today is going to be a super long episode and tomorrow will be, or not tomorrow, but the next episode will be super short. I don't know. We'll find out. But there is something distinctly different. If we're honest and thinking critically, there is something distinctly different about the dialogue in John's gospel and the dialogue of the synoptic Jesus, if that makes sense. Jesus does not talk like this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, I'm not saying anything. I, I'm just saying I, I continue to wrestle with that. I understand why textual critics, I understand why some New Testament scholars, 
I understand why the Jesus Seminar, I understand why David Flusser would look at John and say, John is artistically compiling his own gospel because Jesus didn't say that. He didn't talk like that in the Synoptic Gospels. There is an element of that that I just do you do you feel like that when you read John's Jesus dialogue, like he's all of a sudden transformed into this crazy mystical Jewish mystic character, Brent? Do you feel like do you feel that? Yeah, it's like the uh it's like how I talk in my normal life versus how I wish I talked if I was written by Aaron Sorkin and I was in the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great example. Yeah. Uh, and I, yes. And I'm not saying that Jesus didn't say these things. And that is not at all what I'm getting at. Our listeners know that I love to encourage critical thinking. I don't lose sleep. Textual criticism doesn't scare me. I'm fine with that. I believe in the inspiration of the text. I'm fine living in a world where like Jesus had this kind of an edge to him and John res like, just think about, well, just think about any context of ministry. Imagine if Brent, you were around me when I lived in Moscow, we, we lived in the occupied the same space. I, I, I would have had a few students around me. We even had some of them earlier on the podcast years ago. Do you think Kevin heard my words and remember would remember my words with a different tone and a different focus than say Chris Marshall? Uh, yeah, I would say so. One of them rode the camel and one of them didn't. So they clearly <laughs> heard you differently. <laughs> I hope they still listen to our podcast. What a wonderful reference. But yeah, and I, and I see that in John and it's not that I can imagine if somebody had a particular kind of personality, heard a particular kind of theology, like I can picture like, John gravitating towards these kinds of dialogues and conversations and then packaging that in his gospel because he felt like the other guys missed it. Um, like, I, I get all that. I, I'm not trying to say Jesus didn't say those things. I'm simply wanting to recognize there is a strikingly different kind of dialogue, a different tone, and a different content to Jesus's. In Matthew, he's all about teaching parables. Like, he's not, I'm not saying that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he makes it easy. He's definitely rabbinic. He definitely uses those methods. But in John, he's like talking about like fathers and earthly stuff and heavenly metaphors and earthly metaphors. And like he is up in the clouds and the content of his conversation. And I think that's what makes these few chapters so difficult for me, which leads me to the last part of my dump. Sorry here. Brain dump is what I'm referring to, not any other kind of dumps for anybody curious. Um, <laughs> my... I feel like what I, because people are are sending emails and writing messages and the, the discussion on Slack, people are looking for like the remezes and I love it. I love it. And I think even an episode ago, I even kind of lamented and kind of felt guilty. Like after teaching everybody how to do that, I was kind of like, man, I can't believe I'm not having that conversation. And to be honest, I, I have this in my notes from this week as I prepared for these episodes. I I am I am I am literally just focused on the Peshat. I feel like there is so much in the Peshat reading that I don't know or understand. I'm not racing ahead to Ramesses. I'm not racing ahead to Drosh. I'm I right now I am completely fine, challenged, provoked, and frankly disturbed by a Peshat reading. And I don't want to miss that because I think I I think the the idea is that you understand a Peshat reading before you go to the Ramez and the Drash because that's what opens up the teaching. So you got to understand the Peshat reading first. And, and I, I got a lot of work to do, to be honest. And and so I'm not digging into Remezim for all of you that are like more power to you and keep going. I am not telling you to stop. But if anybody gets lost in John, just hear Marty Solomon, host of the Baymont podcast, tell you, I, me too. These chapters are difficult, and I I feel like I have, I think by the time I'm done today, I, I, got, I got a little fire, uh, a little fire to spit um, before we're done here today. Because I think John's really supposed, I think we're supposed to be really challenged by John. And I don't think we are. I think we're like, oh, you want to start reading the Bible? Start with John. Man, John is like confronting every religious Christian stereotype 
I'm like, man, I know which character I'm supposed to be in, John, and it upsets me. If I associate with what I'm reading here, I'm challenged. Anyway, that was enough of my rant. Sorry. Did that, did that make any sense? We're going to have to edit that whole thing out. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the starting with John thing is just like, like there's so many, like we love the, we love the John one prologue. We love the I am statements. We love these passages. Like you, you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. We love that. Obviously John 316 is there. Like there's just all of these little, these little pieces of John that have stuck in so many people's minds. But then when you actually look at the whole thing, there's just so much happening. Yeah. No, I, 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 Yes. And I am at times drowning, I think in a beautiful way. I am not having an easy time with John. I'm not having an easy time getting ready for these episodes. Um, and it's beautiful. I think it's it's what I want in Bible study. And uh, I just wanted to share that with people because I'm not I, I'm not asking. I'm, I don't think for the next few episodes, I'm asking questions about Pardos. I might, I might jump in here and there, but man, I am stinking wrestling with Peshat. So let's keep going. Um, let's go back just a little bit again. So they, some Jews believed, some didn't, but to those who believed, Jesus said something I, I feel like kind of unprovocative, just slightly instructive. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then you, when you, when you, when you are obedient to that, you'll know truth and you'll find freedom in that truth. Truth. And then they respond with their own, like, awkward response. Go ahead and keep reading. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? What do you think about that response? I think that is so bizarre. <laughs> like what, <laughs> wh- what happened? Like wh- what did they need an exodus from if they've never been slaves of anyone? I do not understand that at all. Yeah, sure. Which uh, man, when you say that all of a sudden I'm ported back to Josh's episode in John three. Um, and just this continual theme. I don't think what John, what what Josh talked to us about in John three. I don't think that was just a John three vacuum. I think that conversation has been following us. Though, and I keep trying to call us back to it. It's been following us this whole time through John, and now the people are provoked by some side complex nuance that I don't even think Jesus. That was even Jesus's main point. Jesus is just like, oh man, I'll tell you what. If you walk in this way, if you trust this story, you will find freedom. And they're like, freedom? Who needs freedom? We're not slaves to anybody. And you're like, huh? And I, and again, I find myself challenged because uh, it's we just do the same thing. And we just do the same thing in today's conversation. We do the same thing in our own religious com- – like this is so relevant in my mind Somebody will do, I, I can remember like the quintessential for anybody that kind of grew up in the nineties fundamentalism, like the story we all love is the story of Tony Campolo where he was speaking at something and, and he said, uh, I don't know what he was, he was talking about like poverty and injustice and this and this and this. And he said something and then he responded with like, and it's bullshit. And and he said, and then his response was, and the problem is, is that more of you are more concerned because I just said that word than about the injustice that we just spent five or 10 minutes talking about. And it's not like that's gone away in the last 20 years. <laughs> if anything, we're even more prone to those sound bites. It, would you Would you agree with that, Brent? Yeah. Um, I wonder if I have to bleep that out, though, or put an explicit tag on our iTunes listing. <laughs> I don't know for that word. I think I don't the word you do. I uh, yeah, definitely there, but I don't know what the line is. <laughs> and you and and I think the context is fine. You feel free to bleep that out and leave this entire conversation in the episode if you want to. Like put a little bleep in there because that was kind of Tony's whole point. Right. Um yeah. and the context will make make it clear that I'm not trying to swear. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously. So that but that I feel like that's only gotten worse is we're all like we we get so dis, like the soundbite the the twitterization and I love Twitter but we have gotten so used to just getting thrown off by well you just quoted that person well you just I mean the emails I get that have nothing to do with the content of the teaching but some reference I made to some author and that has everybody's attention and I feel like 
man, we're just, I hope we are associating ourselves with this story and not just going, oh, those stupid Jews, and they're going to be called children of the devil. Man, we better be listening to this. Jew or Gentile. I don't know if this is about Judaism as much as it's about religious fervor and what our religion and our faith pursuits can do to us. But I'll have more on that before we're done. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Okay. Now you said... I think in a previous conversation, you said the NET had a helpful footnote for the everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Yeah, it's not it's not everyone who sins like in any instance. The um, the Greek is like this emphatic, repeated uh, practice of something, um, and the NET actually translates it: everyone who practices sin is a slave. It's this sense of something that you're doing repeatedly over and over you're living in this space of whatever the issue is versus like a one-time mistake right which which makes sense in the sense of like are you really a slave if you made a mistake one time it's like i don't know probably not right now i think back to the comment you made just a moment ago brent where you were talking about exodus like we don't need to go on a new exodus like what in the world like no 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 no. we're not slaves we don't need to be rescued and so jesus responds with Everyone who gives themselves, so so I, I'm getting a lot of messages or emails about some of these references in John to sin when he tells, like, say he, he healed the, the man at the pool and then told him to go sin no more. And I've gotten a handful of emails like, does that mean that we're supposed to, like, be able to not live, like, never sin? Like, why would Jesus have told him that? And I think we're taking those statements far too literally, far too mechanically, it doesn't fit the language that Jesus is using, this heavenly, earthly conversation. And here, I love the NET footnote, because this isn't saying someone who sins is a slave to sin. It's saying someone who gives themselves, who lives in the state of rebellion, who, this isn't somebody who commits a sin. This is a person who lives in that state of sinfulness, finds himself as, as, a, as a slave to sin. And then he makes this statement, which I can't hear without the context of Torah. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So so within a Torah context, a slave, how long is somebody able to be a slave in Torah, Brent? Uh, what is it, 20 years? Not quite. It's even less. Mm, 18. Even less. Why, why does that stick out? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what, what am I celebrating right now as we record this? What year am I in? Oh, Sabbath? Is it only seven yeah, years? It's only seven years. You're allowed okay. to be an indebted servant for seven years, and then at the end of seven years, you have to let them go free. So I can't hear this statement without considering Torah. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but the son, the son belongs to the family forever. So if there's a son in that family, if there's a slave in the family, that slave is, doesn't have a permanent place. But if there's a son in the family, there is a permanent place. So if the son sets you free, and I know we immediately go to Jesus, capital S, son, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. I am not taking that away. But if I'm hearing this through the lens of Torah, if the son sets you free, when is the son going to set somebody free? Not just at the, at the end. That's probably misleading because I'm not referring to the end of the seven years. When is the son of a family going to set somebody free? Brent? Mm. When the father is no longer around. Okay, when the son takes over the family, that and you may even have a, a slave that's uh, like not just an indentured servant for seven years. You may have somebody that's actually a slave of the family who's given themselves to life service. I, either way you want to look at it, when the son takes over the family, he may set slaves and servants free. I wonder if what Jesus's implication here is... Listen, there's an old paradigm, exactly what he told Nicodemus back with Josh's episode. There's an old paradigm that you're used to, but now the son is here, and the son has brought in a new kingdom, and there's a new household, and I'm interested in setting you free from a worldview that you are a slave to. 
so that you can walk in the worldview. What does he say next? I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you're still looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard. I think Jesus is saying, I have come to set you free in a new world, but you're stuck in an old world, and I need you to see what I'm bringing you so that you can step into the kingdom that I'm offering you, the freedom that I'm offering you. And so I don't know if Jesus is actually picking the fight that I originally suggested at the beginning of the episode as much as Jesus is saying, here's this group of Judeans that believe in me. Yes, keep going, Judeans. Keep trusting this story because it's going to set you free. And they're like, well, we're not. And the Judean worldview was so much more, it was more Hellenistic. It was more Herodian, to use session three language. It was more um, secular. They would have seen themselves much less as slaves than the Galileans do. Like they would have been a part of the pagan culture around them. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you, you Galileans have chosen to be slaves. We're not slaves. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about another paradigm that I'm here to set you free from so that you can walk in freedom. I know you're, I know you're descendants of Abraham. I'm actually trying to call you into that identity, not away from it. I'm at, and I think that's going to become clear. Jesus isn't trying to take them away from their Abraham descendants. Uh, identity, their Abrahamic identity. He's trying to call them further into an Abrahamic identity that they've lost in the midst of a larger conversation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And one note on the end of this passage, the the closing bit where it's talking about, I'm telling you what you've seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you've heard from your father. Uh, there's lots of manuscript related debate as to whether it's your father or the father whether it is oh sure i see that yeah look at that whether it's you are doing what you have heard or you should do what you have heard or yep. whatever like there's lots of debate there so there's there's a big old footnote if you're interested and it lays mm. out all the different manuscripts but that that uh construction there's like questions on exactly how things are constructed in several places throughout this passage where it's yeah. where it's like that yeah that's a messy little clause there very uh -huh. interesting okay okay well go ahead and keep reading and the net does stick with your father based on the yep. later Rest content, of the conversation yep but yep. it's uh yeah there, there's some debate there just just a note so yeah let's move on here um abraham is our father they answered if you were abraham's children said jesus then you would do what abraham did Here's another case where it's like that, where it's, if you are Abraham's children, then you should do or whatever. Okay, sure. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Okay, so Jesus just said previously, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, and yet you aren't acting like his descendants. So you must be, you're a part of some other, and again, I keep seeing the image of that servant household, you're not a part of Abraham's Badov, is how I'm framing that in my mind. I'm not saying that's in the text. I'm saying in my mind, what I hear Jesus saying is, I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you're not living in Abraham's Badov. You're living in somebody else's Badov. You've got some other father, some other patriarch that you're living under, but it's not Abraham, to which they respond with like, what are you talking about? We are, no, we're Abraham's children. <laughs> to which Jesus is like, well, I, 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 I wanted Jesus to say, well, I just told you I knew that, but nevertheless, he didn't. He said, if you were Abraham's kids, you would act like Abraham. Like, but you are not acting like Abraham. You are acting like somebody other than Abraham. Like, consider all the things that we, what are the things that you remember all the way back 200 episodes ago? More than that, Brent, who was Abraham? What are the words that characterized Abraham? Uh, hospitality, partnership, um, fighting for the oppressed. See, I don't think, yeah, absolutely. Like wrestling with God about, you know, like how many, how, how few people can I argue God down to, to save the yes. city? Yes. Bingo. Man, you did, man, you did a better job answering that question than I even wanted you to. Beautiful. That, 
<laughs> yes, that is Abraham. I don't think Jesus is arguing about their Abrahamic identity at all. I think Abra- Jesus is trying to call them to their Abrahamic identity and saying, you're not acting like Abraham's kids. This is not what God called us to, and this, not, this is not who our father was. So whatever you're doing is a part of some other household, but it is not a part of God's Badoff. It's not a part of Abraham's Badoff. It's something else, and it's an illegitimate father. Right? Okay, I, I think that's the argument that Jesus is building on. So go ahead and keep keep on. And that's where they listen to what they say next. Listen to their next statement. Go ahead. <laughs> we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God Himself. All right, so here we are. They respond with no there's no illegitimacy in our family and like our family identity, what which Beethoven we're a part of. Of course we're a part of the same and watch what Jesus is where he goes next. Jesus said to them. If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Okay, and now I feel like we're back to a conversation about truth, which is where we started the episode today. So Jesus said, if you trust this story, if you do what I command, if you follow my way, you will know, you will experience the truth, and that truth will set you free. They get into this argument about their identity, and Jesus is like, ah, oh, man, the whole reason that you can't see any of this stuff or hear what I'm saying is because you're not following in my way. I'm here to show you what Abraham looks like. And again, it helps pull me down out of the cloud of mysticism here that it feels like Jesus is, you know, ranting out of. And it helps me to put this in a context where Jesus is, he's not just mystically provoking his audience. What he's doing is he's saying, you guys have a call. You do have an identity. It's supposed to look like Abraham, but you've lost your way. And I just invited you into truth and you're arguing against me. Well, if you don't want truth, because I am from Abraham's Badov, I'm telling you what my actions show you Abraham's Badov. Which one looks like Abraham? The, the, the Badov you're clinging to or the Badov that I came from? Which one is Abraham's Badov? If you can't acknowledge that and see that and step into that, if you're going to be a part of the other Badov, then you can't, you, you can't hear me. You can't understand this. Which is what leads me to a last little exercise for us today. A, a thought experiment, if you will. An unusual little Diddy for the Bayma podcast. Not never done it before. I don't typically do thought experiments, but here we go. <laughs> before right? we before we get into that, I do have one note on this little please do paragraph that might I don't know if it'd be better before or after, but let's do it before. Has to be better. I feel like the thought of experiment will close the episode. So I love it. Um, so when it says uh, you belong to your father, the devil, uh, the NET points out that the the word for belong, they translate it as from you. You are from your father, the devil. Uh, but they say that the uh, the Greek word there implies uh, or not implies it. It's it emphasizes the idea of source or origin. So it's not so much that they are like under the devil or whatever, but they are like from him. And they even go as far as saying uh, that Jesus is saying that they are the devil's offspring, which literally obviously is not true, but, uh, right. Right. And I, yeah, I, I would even say I'm the note irritates me because of how any Western reader of their footnotes is going to like abuse that idea. I'm not sure if I'm not sure what they're intending to communicate with the last part. I love the first part and it's very, very consistent with John's language. John loves to speak of origin, and it goes all the way back to that John 1 idea, right? In the beginning was the Logos, and it's all about origin and source, and Jesus keeps talking about from heaven. Everything I get is from my—John loves to talk about source. Um, When John talks about son of man or son of God, the way he uses the term son speaks to source, not 
And see, that's where the footnote gets a little weird and wonky for me, because when John talks about son of God, it's not that John would disagree with with Jesus's identity as the son of God, but John uses the term in a way that speaks to source. He is from God. It fits everything else that happens in John's gospel, where Jesus keeps talking about, I'm from above. Everything I do, I get from my father. That whole conversation I have is from my father. So those are the those are the conversations that um I, I feel like origin is such the first half of that footnote was so good. I, I'm totally in agreement. And then when they go like offspring, I, I feel like all of a sudden it does the exact opposite of what I what I understand with the word, where I think what Jesus is saying is your your life and your identity is coming from a source. It, it's originating in a place that is not God's intended source of your identity. Um, that's how I hear the originating. But I love the footnote. I, I'm just I'm kind of like weirded out at the end about what did they mean by actual offspring, even if it's in a spiritual metaphor, allegorical sense. I still don't feel like that's what the word communicates or what John is trying to say. But I could just be mishearing what they're trying to communicate. I don't know. That's well, good, good, good footnote. And there was the instance earlier in the passage where it says, so, so if the sun sets you free and the debate is, do you capitalize the S in sun? Is it actually referring to Jesus or is he just saying exactly in, in the type of a sun, like that, that freedom is, is a certain kind of freedom versus something else to either go back to Josh's metaphor in John three about the sun, the identity exactly. of the sun yep. or to use my Beethoven metaphor of the sun, and maybe those two ideas actually go together very well. And again, I'm okay capitalizing the, capitalizing the S because I think John is absolutely toying and playing with that. He's wanting you to see the person of Jesus, that work of Christ. Yes, the son, Jesus, the person of Jesus, the Christ is going to set you free. But also there's this greater conversation that Jesus was having with his Jewish audience about their identity and which bait off that they're a part of. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's both in, in the general bait off sense. If a son sets you free, you are free. But, but Jesus is also saying, God is my father and I am the son in this bait off that we're talking about and I'm yep. setting you free. And so it, it works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. You got anything else before I jump into my thought experiment here? Nope. Let's experiment away. All right. Here's my challenge for all of us. And, and if you're not, if you're not somebody who's like belonged to church for a long time, if you're a brand new believer, or you don't even consider yourself a follower of Jesus, or on, in any way kind of consider yourself outside, then then observe this from a different vantage point. Okay. But for all of us who listen to this podcast, and there are a lot of us, there are we are many who have found their identity in Jesus, who for quite some time, who are a part of churches, who who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian. I, I, on some level, I can appropriately speak for who God is and what God desires in our life. I want us to go back and look at this passage and associate with the right characters in this passage. I think we love to read these conversations as Jesus talking to a bunch of Jews who won't give up their Judaism, and we just hear this through a very other lens. And the last thing we think about is ourselves. But I think John, and I'm probably going to get into this in some future episodes too, I think John is trying to have a conversation with the religious. I'm just going to call them the religious. And yes, in John's day, who are the religious in God's context, Brent? Well... I guess the the Pharisees, really any of the the religion, any of the Jewish leaders. Let's even go bigger. We'll just say which group of people would be the religious, the Jews, I guess. The Jews. So yes, for John, this is connected to a Jewish identity and a Jewish context in a Jewish religion. I think now in 2022, or whenever you're listening to this episode, I think it's more helpful to just hear that classification as the religious rather than the Jewish, because now we've separated ourselves from Judaism so far, we don't associate with that identification anymore, and we make it about somebody else. So when John originally wrote this to his original audience, the religious, the core believers, the people who are on the inside, heard this as their own challenge. 
I want us to consider these words for all of us who consider ourselves religious, and I mean that in a positive sense, followers of Jesus, insiders. Let's hear these words from uh, from a more self-reflective, I'm going to associate with these passages. I'm trying to figure out if I want you to read it. Why not, Brent? That's what you do. How about you read the passage again, and I'm going to interrupt you a bunch of times like I always do. From the top? Sure. To the religious who had believed him, Jesus oh, you're said... you're going to do it. You're going to change it. I love it. <laughs> if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay. So all of us that claim to know Jesus, speak for Jesus, all those kind of... The religious, Jesus says, all right, good job, everybody. If you do what I... If, if you hold to my teachings, if you keep my commandments, if you walk in, my, in this way, if you trust the story as I fulfill it and teach it, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I don't know what our gut response is. We'd probably react in different ways for lots of different reasons. But but Jesus looks at us and says, hey, good job. If you do what I tell you, then you will know the truth. And when you experience that truth, you will find freedom. Now, just pause for a moment. All of us seminarians, Bible college degrees, pastors, or just people that have been in the church for 30 years. Like, if somebody were to say that to you, quit quit putting it in a Jesus bubble. I think there's about three or four things that I would imagine everybody kicking back against. We would have some kind of a kickback, whether it's, well, well, the, my freedom, I'm already free in Christ. Um, or whether it's, well, well, I don't I don't like the works-based approach that you're taking here, Jesus. Like if I do the right things, then I'll know freedom. I'm saved by grace alone, Jesus. Like what would our responses be? But we're just getting started. Let's keep going, Brent. We answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? How dare you insinuate we don't have everything put together? Jesus, I have my seminary degree. I went to Bible college. I've been going to Sunday school forever. I know my theology. I've affirmed the creed. I got baptized. How dare you, Jesus? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, what do you mean, if I hold to your teaching? I'm already holding to your teaching. <laughs> Absolutely. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. No okay. Slave. No, I'm going to interrupt you. I know you got baptized. I know you have a seminary degree. I know you love me. I know you have all this wonderful stuff. Okay, go ahead. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you were looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Okay, hold on. I just, I don't even want to add any commentary to that because I don't want to get accused of accusing anybody. But I hope we wrestle with that. I hope we wrestle with whether or not Jesus would look at us and say, actually, I know you got baptized. I know you wear the t-shirt. I know you love me. I know you affirmed the belief statement. I know, I know that you know so much, but you're actually a slave to something that has nothing to do with the mission of God. And I long to set you free but you're trying to kill the work. You're trying to kill me and the work that I'm up to in your life and around you. I'm not going to point that at anybody. I just, I hope we wrestle with whether and how much truth may be in that statement for those of us who are religious today in 2022. Brent, go ahead. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Jesus says, I've given you all my words. You got BibleGateway.com. You got your Bibles. You got 20 of them sitting at home. All kinds of different translations that we all argue about. You even got one that expands into footnotes. I, I, I gave you my words, but you're following somebody else's words. You're, you're following some other. Like I gave you my words, but you're interested in somebody else's words. You you're you belong to another Badoff, and it's not the one that I gave you two thousand years ago in the New Testament. Maybe. Just a suggestion. We should wrestle with. Go ahead, Brent. Abraham is our father, we answered. What do you mean? Abraham is our we we follow you, Jesus. We bear your name. We're Christians. 
Go ahead. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Okay, Jesus says, if you were Christians, you would do what I did. You would look like me. For Jesus, when he was alive talking to Jews, he said you would look like Abraham. I wonder if today he would say, oh, oh, if you are Christians, well, then you would you would do what I did. You would look like me. But in fact, you don't, and you're actually trying to kill the work that I'm doing in the world. You're trying to actually do the opposite, which makes you... Go ahead, Brent. Did I already read Abraham did not do such things? Uh, no, I cut you off too early. I'm sorry. I got a little excited. Go ahead. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Jesus might say, I didn't, I, di- I didn't act like you. My life didn't look like your church movements and your, the thing that I was a part of doesn't look like the thing that you're a part of. So what you're a part of is not from me. It's not a part of my Badoff. It's something else. If you were a part of me, if you were Christians, if you did know, if you were proudly religious correctly, it would look like me, but it doesn't. So it, it can't be me. It has to be something, somebody else. I wonder who that might be. Keep reading, Brent. We are not illegitimate children, we protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to us, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Okay, okay. So now Jesus says... And I'm not trying, guys, I'm not, if you're listening to this, I very rarely have a heavy hand. I don't do like spitfire prophetic very often because we have enough stuff that makes us feel guilty. The good news is good news. I'm really adamant about the gospel being something that like, like it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But for those of us who are religious, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't notice what John is trying to confront the religious with here. All right. And so I'm not trying to be, I don't want like people like weeping, crying. If that's what the Spirit does, like that's great. Like the Holy Spirit, may the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life today and every day. I'm not doing this so that other people like rack themselves with guilt and pull over the car, weeping their eyes out. That's not why I'm doing this. But I, I do hope that we reflect on this. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Like, you can't hear me because you're too busy listening to CNN. You can't hear me because all you want to listen to is Fox News. You can't hear me because the only voice you care about is that personality. You can't hear me because the thing that defines your reality is that TikTok feed, that social media outlet, that denominational identity, that you're listening to some other voice, some other bait of some other father, and, and and therefore you can't hear me. Why can you not understand what I'm trying to say? Oh, I know why you can't understand what I'm trying to say, Jesus says, because you're listening to a million other things other than me, my teachings, what you find in my word, all that kind of stuff. And if it's not from me, it's from one other source, as he'll, as he'll call it, the devil. There's no, there's no third voice. There's two kingdoms. It's a tale of two kingdoms. Has been since session one. That was a joke. It actually has been a tale of two kingdoms for long before that. There's a tale of two kingdoms, empire and shalom. Uh, So there's two kingdoms. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Brent. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. I think of that line, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? And the things that come to mind is whenever we often talk about things that look or smell or act like Jesus in the world... We, we like, our religious convictions often have us responding with, okay, yeah, but, and then there's like this long list of like all the reasons why 
But what's wrong with just what Jesus gave us? What's wrong with just pure, unadulterated love? Yeah, but if you're saying that everybody else is... Uh, yeah. Talk about justice. Yeah, but that sounds Marxist. Like whatever it is that we will often talk about what looks like Jesus and our religious like impulse is to then make sure that we correct it so that it's not too much Jesus. <laughs> and it just, man, I, I just, I'll, I'll leave it alone. I probably already said too much, but uh, I feel like this passage, uh, the thought experiment here is to quit looking back at this at, as like, Oh, those silly Jews and their un, uh, their inability to accept the person of Jesus and realize, oh my goodness, my inability, my daily temptation. Why did John tell us this story? Just to tell us about that conversation that happened way back when at Capernaum or wherever? Or did John tell us this story because it's the story that religious folks like you and me ought to be making sure we wrestle with so that we don't miss Jesus and belong to the wrong bait of today? That's my suggestion, but... There you go, Brent. Maybe a little longer episode than what we might show up next week with, but hopefully a productive one. Spiritually form, you know, formulating, what am I trying to say? Spiritual formation. May it be a spiritually forming conversation for us. I hope. I definitely feel the weight of it. So I do. I do hope that that is true. Good enough. Hopefully, hopefully we feel the weight and then do something with it and not just sit and feel guilty oh amen and amen the guilt guilt is never helpful guilt is never like to stay there like guilt sometimes can be the thing that that serves as an instigator to get us moving but to wallow in guilt never helpful to that guilt becomes shame at that point and that becomes so destructive so yeah don't don't let the guilt let the guilt be the fire that gets you up but don't let the guilt be the place that you know keeps you there so guilt's never helpful we got to get up and move on and become something better with the help of jesus amen all right well if you want to get a hold of marty you can find him on twitter at marty solomon i'm at eibcb and you can find more details about the show at bamadiscipleship.com so thanks for joining us on the bama podcast we'll talk to you again soon